I've been trying to get black businessmen into Florida Road um, into, to help with the UIP. It's, it's mainly, mostly white and Indian. And uh, I, I felt like if we're going to help Florida Road go to the next level, we need to, to bring black investors in and help hear them because that area really is marketed to, to the top LSM of, of black people coming into the, the street. And, and we were going like, we need to learn. And so I, I started asking friends of mine for the most influential black business guys they could find. And one guy's name came up, Nklantla uh, Kambule. And Nklantla, I had a meeting with him, and by the end of the meeting, I was so excited, I was jumping up and down. He was so excited, he was jumping up and down. So he says to me, Russ, will you come to my, the opening of my school? So I said, just give me some information about the school. And he said, no, I'm, I'm building a private school in Mlazi. So just share this out, a private school in Umlazi. And uh, the kids going through that school are specializing in app development, coding, and robotics. And so I went, can my kids come? And, and he said, they'll be very white, but yes, they can come. And, and then anyway, so I went out there, and uh, he'd headhunted um, a headmaster who had been at, I think, St. Stithians and then somewhere else. He'd headhunted him from Joburg, brought him down to become the headmaster of this school. And so you go... I don't know if you've been to Mlazi, but Mlazi is not the wealthiest area in our city. And, and you go through like shacks and, and like rough stuff, and then you, you land up at what looks like the opening to St. Mary's. And, and this guy is using some Harvard business stuff to train kids uh, in some of the most profound ways. So he's going to be speaking on Friday. I, I just, you know, there's enough negative stuff about how this country is going south for you to kind of get hopeless. You start to meet a couple of visionaries and how they're changing this country, and you start to shift. So we've got him, and we've got Dumile Ngele. Um, and Dumile is, she's a visionary. She, she headed up Chamber of Commerce last year, and um, she is, she's going to be speaking about how she sees Durban City moving forward. And so I just, I feel like, to not be there is suicidal. It's, it's going to be so good. And if you're a networking type person, you need to network with different people because, because South Africa is not what it was five years ago. And to do business in South Africa, you just can't do it the way you did it. You need different connections. So I really want to encourage you to come to that. Is that cool? The last thing that I have to tell you about is, is next week we start a series, um, which is quite a clever title. It's, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Caring. There, there was a, a bestseller that was released a little while ago called this, uh, the, sorry, our, our series is The Sacred Art of Not Caring. The, the book was called The Subtle Art of Not, and, uh, and you may have seen it. And uh, the reason that we decided to do this is, is I, was, um, I was literally being coached. I'm, I'm being coached. It's been the most fantastic input of my life. It's literally shifted aspects of my life. And uh, in one of the sessions, the coach said to me, he said, Ross, until you stop caring about all of these things, you're never going to be able to care deeply about these things. And, uh, and so I took those words to heart. And then someone said to me, I really feel like people care too much about stuff that they shouldn't be caring about. And, and through that process and someone reading the book, we decided, man, we're going to go after this thing. So that series starts next week. And honestly, I think it's going to be so good for you. I know it's going to be good for me, so I'm pumped for that. I'm going to pray and then get into today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much 
that your word separates bone from marrow, spirit from soul, and, and that it gets into our lives and it begins to open our hearts and open our minds to new ways. And I ask that this word is a deposit of new ways in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I, I just want to start by confessing to you that there are two animals I hate. Um, I don't know if the pastor, you're allowed to hate certain animals, but I, I hate two animals. The one is a great white shark, and as a surfer, you can understand that. The second is an ostrich. In fact, ostriches bother me so much that if I see ostrich steak, I'll just eat it because I know another one's dead. <laughs> In fact, when, when I was growing up, I, uh, uh, we had uh, ostrich eggs, and uh, and we made omelets out of ostrich eggs. Just one less chick in the world. It was just like, just smash that thing. And I'll tell you why. Because I got tormented by ostriches. But I need to set you up with, for a little bit so that you understand why this is so painful. Is an ostrich's eye is about the size of billiard boards. It's like quite a serious eye. A huge eye. Um, an ostrich's head, it, it's not very big. It's about that big. Two billiard balls? And a brain. So I'm coming home one day, and, and I lived on a farm, and we had ostriches, and so I decided I was going to take a shortcut, because where I get dropped off was two k's away from my house, so I decided I'm going to take a shortcut through the ostrich paddock. And uh, I climbed through the fence, and I'm starting to walk, and I see this male ostrich in plume. So what that means is sometimes you see ostriches, and they have like red shins, and they have red beaks. And when that happens, you know that they're angry. And so don't mess with that ostrich. Anyway, so he's, he's, about, he's in mating season. That's where he's at. And uh, I, as I was walking along, he starts trotting towards me. But he wasn't looking like it was a, a romantic encounter we were going we to have. He was trotting at pace. And so I found a knobthorn tree. And, uh, and I, I hid behind the knobthorn tree. And he ran up to the knobthorn tree. And because an ostrich brain is... He, he followed me around the knobthorn tree. And we walked and we walked and we walked. And honestly, you would think like this would stop. But his brain is, we walked and we walked and we walked. And I don't know, it was probably only five minutes. It felt like an hour. But we walked and we walked. He stopped. Stroke of genius. Utter ostrich moment. Put his head around the other way and started walking around this way. I eventually got to break free about 20 minutes later. But you ever felt like you've been walking round and round and round and round in circles? You ever get to the end of the financial year and it's two days to go and you literally have to take leave to fill in your tax returns and you go, how did I get here again? It doesn't happen to you, it happens to me. Or uh, the uh, uh, vehicle registration. How many of you register your car late every year? Oh, thank you for the three. Oh, they started coming up, well done. And you go, how did I get here again? Or you're in marriage. And you get into that argument that you could literally, if you weren't in flight or fight, if you weren't ready to kill this person, you could literally go, you're going to say this, then I'm going to say this, then you're going to do that, then I'm going to walk out the room, and then we're going to ignore each other. For, and you could literally play it out. And you kind of go, it's 10 years, it's 15 years. How the heck did we get here again? 
or you go through these cycles of debt, and you get out, and you're starting to do well, and everything's starting to go beautifully, and then, how did I get here again? Or you're single, and you're looking for a person, and and the last five have failed, and then you meet the person, and you, you're going, this is so good. And then as you're talking to her, she says these words. She goes, you complete me. And you know in those words that she's going to suck the life out of you. She's going to kill you. You're going to die in this relationship. And you go, how did I get here again? In so many different ways, so much of our lives, is how did I get here again? Sin habits. You know, I, I speak to addicts the whole time. They know what triggers them. They, they know th- they must sleep enough, eat enough. They must make sure they stay away from that thing. But it doesn't matter. They get there again. The story of the wilderness is a story of a people walking around and round, around in cycles going, I've seen that tree before. I've seen that rock before. I've walked around that mountain before. There are people in a barren land walking in circles. Now, if you're one of those people walking in circles, you've got cycles in your life, I want to encourage you. What I realized is that from the barrier of the Red Sea to the barrier of the Jordan River where they go into their promised land or their place of rest. Between that, there is always a wilderness. Between the barrier of your salvation, which is what the Red Sea represents, and the barrier of your walking into your promised land, strive to enter into the rest. Between those two barriers, there is always a wilderness. And the wilderness is good for you. The wilderness is where you learn that man doesn't feed on bread alone, but on every word of God, of God. You learn to live on manna. The wilderness is where everything gets stripped away from you, where you land up literally with nothing. The millennial idea of I'm going to change the world, it dies in the wilderness. In the wilderness, you realize if God doesn't, I'm stuffed, I'm just no one. The wilderness is the place where you learn utter dependence on the direction of God for your life. You follow the cloud. You stay safe under the cloud, whether it's, it feels like this is going nowhere or, something, or somewhere. In the wilderness, you learn how if I don't stay under that cloud, I get burnt. The wilderness is so good for you. It's just you're not meant to die there. The wilderness is not meant to get into you. The wilderness is to teach you a different way of living. And some of you have lived in the wilderness for a long time, and you're starting to despise the wilderness. And I want to say this. The problem with most of the church today is they despise the wilderness. And what they don't understand is that they're in a season where God is pulling them back like a bowstring. And if they'll just keep staying in the wilderness and following that cloud, he will lead them out. And when he leads them out, he will let them go. And they will fly further than they ever could have flown if they'd broken out before his time. Some of you have stayed in this church and it's felt like a wilderness. I want to honor you and say, don't despise the wilderness. God's doing stuff inside of the wilderness that makes you mature enough to go into the promised land and actually take out giants. The wilderness is a gift to you, but don't die there. So I want to kind of talk about how you don't die there. And uh, 
right now, because we don't have any screen. By the way, good singing. And if you're visiting with us and you didn't know those songs, I'm so sorry. Christian karaoke sucks when there's no songs. But uh, <laughs> can I ask that you grab your phones or your Bible apps or whatever and follow with me? Otherwise, uh, listening, you're going to lose it. So turn with me to Joshua 5 verse 1, and I'll give you a few seconds to get there. NLT, if you've got options. And just for those of you who don't have phones, thank you so much for not bringing phones. Next week you will, though. Anyway, are we there? Front row's there. Okay, Joshua 5, verse 1. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan River and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so, so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. Here's the context. You've been doing this over the last few weeks. But, but the people have lived in the wilderness until an entire generation has died. Moses has just died. And God comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous and go across the river. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. There's a principle here. Because then what, what, what God does is he does the same miracle he did for Moses with Joshua. With Moses, the first big miracle on their move was to separate the Red Sea. God goes, I'm going to prove that I'm with you like I was with Joshua. And he takes them to the river and he says, step onto the river, send the priests onto the river. And as they walk, the, sea will, the, the, the river will split. Big idea. If you're going to walk into your promised land, you need to follow the pattern of those who God has gifted and appointed and worked through in seasons before you. You see, there's a pattern to walking through. It starts with salvation. It continues with being filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. And it carries on with certain miracles that God does through believers who walk into their promised land. It's miracles of provision. Tithing, is a, it's a pattern that starts to get you into a space of walking into your promised land. Praying for people to be healed. It's a pattern that gets you into the promised land. Because all of these patterns show a supernatural way to live a natural life. If God did it for Moses, he will do it for Joshua. And if God's done it for a person of faith before you, he will do it for you. Patterns. You don't look convinced, but it is true. Then verse 2 goes like this. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. I'm not going to labor the point, but... But guys, just think a rock, a flint knife. It's like a highball. It's just, it's hectic. I, um, I was down in J-Bay, and uh, the word circumcised, it means trim. And uh, my wife said to me, I want you to go for a hair trim, because you're starting to represent another species of human. You're just, you're horrible. You're going back to church. Sort that out. So uh, she literally dragged me to a hairdresser. And, and hairdressers for farm boys are, are quite uncomfortable spaces because they send you mixed signals. They, um, on the one hand, they, they have really nice music and friendly people. On the other hand, they have weapons that serial killers use all, all over the show. And they've got, they've got these beautiful like products. 
and then you look at the price tag. It's just like mis mixed signals the whole way through. You feel, you feel a little bit uncomfortable if you come from the bush. And uh, anyway, so I went and I sat down, and there's an, an Indian fellow speaking, but he was from India, so he was speaking. And, and as he was talking to me, he, he started telling me, that I'm from India, and I said, why, why have you come to South Africa? And he told me to cut your hair. God sent me to cut your hair, which... In a normal conversation, I would have jumped at because as a pastor, like, you don't get open invites like that. Like, oh, yeah. But I'm in a hairdresser. And when I'm in the dentist and at a hairdresser, I'm in flight or fight mode. Like, I'm just surviving this situation. Anyway, so he, he says to me, um, what would you like me to do? And I said, just make it short. I, I, I don't like any admin. I like to put water in my hair and shampoo sometimes, not very often. Just, like, cut it short. And, and so he looks at me with this look of just... He despised me in that moment. I could, I could tell. And then he finishes that and he says, do you want me to, to trim your beard? And I said, no, thanks. My wife says, yes. So he looks at her and he goes, move over there. And uh, so I got up and I, I moved across to his brother. And his brother's the guy with the scalpel, whatever you call that thing. And uh, he didn't say a word. Now, I've been in boarding school, and the oaks you don't worry about are the loud guys. The silent guys, it's a 50-50. It can go badly. And he had the scalpel, and then he puts this, like, steamer thing on me and just blows this misty, hot air in my face. You can't breathe with that stupid thing. I, I don't know what it does, but it was horrific. And, and then he starts cutting my hair on my face in places I didn't know I had hair. And I realized, at that moment, I realized he was actually doing me a favor. Because I was probably on the trajectory of becoming that guy. You all know that, that guy. Some of you are also on this trajectory. He has a wake-up call. Who has more hair coming out of his nose and ears than you wonder how he breathes and hears. Like, that's, that's the space. I was probably on that trajectory. And this guy was going to deal with it there and then. And so he, he trims hair I didn't know existed. And then, this is when I knew my life was getting threatened. He takes this piece of fishing twine, the type that you strangle people with. I knew he was going to kill me. And, uh, but I had faith that I could get to the scalpel before that thing strangled me. He takes that flipping thing and he, he starts to Chinese torture me. Rubbing, he does something with his fingers and he grabs that twine and he starts like this and and he's rubbing it against my face. Nobody knows. You ladies know. You pay for this. You called it a spa. Uh, he threads me. <laughs> Men, if any other man ever says, can I thread, you just run. You get out of there. You pay your bills. <laughs> a trim. Circumcision is a big deal. It's a big deal because in the Old Testament, it was a marking of righteousness. Often because we don't have to get circumcised in the New Testament, we don't understand what circumcision is. Circumcision was not something you did to get righteous. Abraham was made righteous by faith, and then God said to him, I want you to be circumcised. Circumcision was a mark of righteousness. Big deal. Jesus, in Colossians 2, it kind of explains it this way. It says that 
you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. In this verse 2, so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeoth He Araloth. I looked up the meaning of Gibeoth He Araloth. In fact, I made one of our congregations say the word, and then I told them what it meant. It means the hill of foreskins. <laughs> hope you feel more educated now. Joshua circumcised them on a hill, and Jesus spiritually circumcised us on a hill. Joshua did it at great cost to them. Jesus did it at great cost to him so that something could be cut away and you could be marked by God. Now, I want you to hold on to that because you being marked by God is how you get into your promised land. The, the next verse goes, Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight the battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died, for they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Amen. A couple of things. Firstly, it's interesting that God will not let a people of unbelief mark a people of faith. Here's a big idea. I consistently, especially in Florida Road, am counseling people who feel like they have been marked by leaders in their previous church or by people around them. Here's what I want you to know. It is impossible for people to mark those God has called because only Jesus can mark them and he marks them with righteousness. You cannot, the, the way you free yourself from being marked by someone else is, is, is forgiveness. It sets you completely free. It's the first idea. Second idea is that it was impossible for Israel to move out of the wilderness into their promised land until unbelief had died. And it is impossible for you to move out of your wilderness into your promised land until unbelief has died. It's a, it's a powerful, hard truth. What happened with Israel is 10 times, they, the Bible says they were tested. 10 times. They would come to a moment where it was life or death. There's no water. There's no food. There's a river to cross. There's an army coming. They come 10 times. They came to a place where them living was at stake. And 10 times, they said to Moses, why have you brought us here to die? Here's the big idea. Until you can trust God with your salvation, which was the thing they were doubting, until you can trust God with your salvation, you will never be able to go into your promised land. And here's why. The wilderness, God keeps you in the wilderness to keep you safe. The wilderness is a giant's free zone. 
There are no giants in the wilderness. You walking around in circles in the wilderness, it bothers no giant. No demonic force, nothing really cares if you're going around in a circle in a barren place. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm not stressed about you. It's the moment you go, I'm going to grab hold of my calling, my destiny. I'm going to step into this. That's when giants start coming. People often pray, Lord, deliver me out of the wilderness. It's, it's a misunderstanding. God delivers you at salvation, okay, at the Red Sea. He delivers them, wipes out their enemy. There's no longer Pharaoh chasing you. The only thing chasing you is goodness and mercy, and it's following you all the days of your life. The giant you're about to face is not behind you. He's in front of you. You don't need to be delivered. You need to get faith to take on the giant. The way out of the wilderness is not God reaching in and pulling you out. The way out of the wilderness is you killing unbelief and grabbing hold of faith. Thank you for the one amen we're going to get to soon. That generation kept choosing unbelief. I just want to say there have been seasons in my life where I've kept choosing unbelief. They kept feeding it. They kept speaking to it. I want to read you one example. In Numbers 21, verse 5, they say, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. In the wilderness, you will either despise what God has given you, or you'll celebrate it. And that's a choice. It's true. They'd eaten the horrible stuff for 40 years. It didn't matter if it was creme brulee. By the year 40, you are over the stuff. But you will either learn how to satisfy yourself in God in your wilderness, or you will despise it. There is no 50-50. If you're going to get out of the wilderness, you've got to learn to celebrate the manna that feeds you, to sit under the cloud, even though it feels like you're in this job where you just can't break through, but the cloud hasn't moved, God hasn't given you peace, you're stuck here until he moves the cloud. When you start to go, God, you're enough in this, you're ready to get out of the wilderness. God needs you to rely completely on him to be able to take you out of the wilderness. It's essential that we learn this. But you don't have, you've got to feed your wilderness with faith. So um, last week I was was preaching a similar message to this in Florida Road. And uh, it wasn't coming together. And so I, I I went I'm in the bush. I'm going to sleep. And sometimes you pray, Jesus, please speak to me whilst I sleep. Other times I pray, Lord, please speak to me whilst I sleep and then wake me up early if you haven't. (laughs) And so at 2 o'clock I woke up. And I thought to myself, I'm nowhere and I need to shift something in my spirit. I can't feed unbelief because I have to give people something. And so I started just thinking about my life. Because if Israel had thought about their life, they would have realized God promised them riches and he gave them riches. God promised them deliverance and he delivered them. God promised them a new way of life and he gave them a new way of life. God promised them the promised land and it was coming. That's that's how they would have thought. But I started to go, when God saved me, he filled me with the Holy Spirit on that day. 
and I wept, and he filled me again, 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 and I started to know his presence. And, and I remember early on in my faith, my motorbike was stolen, and, uh, and, I, and I cried out to God, and, and I, I worshipped him, actually. And within a week, I'd gone from a 50cc to a 500cc. And, uh, and I started just celebrating and thanking God for that. And I, I remember when I was hijacked, a car was taken. And then a few months later, I was given a new car. And, and I started to celebrate that. And, and recently, I, I had to sell a car to pay for something. And, and the next thing, someone came to me and said, Ross, I feel like I need to lend you my Hilux for two years. And I went, amen to that. And, and, and I looked back over my life and I started to go, and God, you were there. And God, you put friends there. And God, you gave me wisdom there. And God, you protected me there. And God, though I messed up, you came through for me there. And I started to just speak this over my life, how God has blessed me with blessings that I'm embarrassed to tell people about, trips overseas and, and things that he's given me that, it, honestly, it's embarrassing for me to speak about. I feel like I'm a bad pastor if I start boasting about some the stuff he's given me is just unfair the lavish grace of God in my life and as I'm starting to feed my spirit with this the revelation that comes from the promised land starts to get deposited into my heart you see this is the thing if you keep feeding your spirit in the wilderness you will start to have something to eat to go into the promised land You'll, you'll build your faith up to be able to go in two If Israel had got this, they would have walked out. It's, it's quite remarkable to me that though Israel was unfaithful in every one of these 10 places, God, who is always faithful, even when we aren't faithful, still brought them out. It's the God who started a thing in you will bring it to completion whether you go on the journey or not. It's a, it's a remarkable concept. But you start to break through the cycles of pain when you start believing that God is enough. The scripture then goes to Lot Spit and it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so that place has been called Gilgal to this day. I want you to... I'm preaching a lot. Are you guys all right? I want you to understand this. If you're going to walk into the promised land, you first need to know you're marked. Because the giants that you're going to face don't play nice. They hurt. They come after you. And and your starting place for breaking through is knowing that I'm marked by the righteousness of God and the enemy can accuse me and remind me and use people to gossip about me and he can tell me all kinds of things all day long. If I am utterly marked by the righteousness of God, I'll be able to keep going forward. It's the starting place for warfare. You have to kill the unbelief. You have to take your hurt and your pain and yesterday's barrenness and the emptiness that you've been living in. You have to be able to take that to the cross and feed your soul with everything he is giving you and not despise the manner. The third thing you have to do is you have to have the shame rolled away. So I I realized that in my life I've walked into the promised land and I've been so hurt And I haven't had the coping tools to to deal with it. I've been so hurt by people, by stuff going wrong, by by things I'm trying to do but can't actually achieve. I've been so hurt that I've stepped back into the wilderness, just like this. And then I'll, I'll develop the guts and I'll step back out again. And what I realized a little while ago is I realized 
I have patterns of my life that keep landing up hurting me and hurting other people. And I went, these patterns I've not just recognized, but I've actually given them power because I've started to go, maybe I just am that person. And God started speaking to me as I was, I was working through this. He said, that, that's shame on your life. Because it's been pointed out to you by so many different people, you've started to go, God, maybe that's just who I am. What am I, I can't get out of this. And so Satan's using it and he's just going, you will always be like that. You will keep hurting people. Why do you keep going for it? It, it just, he starts to use the patterns in your life. And what Christ did at the rolling away of the stone is he went, no, shame will not hold you. Because I have resurrection life that will come inside of you. And if you recognize the pattern, dig into the resurrection life and I will break it off you. And I had to say to God, okay, Lord, I've got some bad habits. I need some resurrection life. I've got some bad patterns. I've got some bad cycles. But they don't define me anymore. I'm going to get some help, but I need some resurrection life. And as I've started to engage in resurrection life, what starts to happen is you go, yeah, I know I did that yesterday. Because people will remind you, I promise, a lot. Yeah, yeah, I know I did that yesterday, but that's not who I am today, and that's not who God's making me tomorrow, because he who began something inside of me will take it to completion. You've got to know this. If you're going to break into your promised land, you have to be marked, you have to kill unbelief, and you have to roll the stone away. That's as much as you can take. Well, it's all I can give. But friends, if you'll take this and you'll let it sink in, it will help you in seasons to make something beautiful out of something very barren. So I want you to stand. I'm going to pray. Jesus, as you've ministered into my life, I pray that something of what I've spoken will bring people into freedom. And as we go into this next series that I think is so critical, Lord, I pray that something of what I've given will, will just start to sink into spirits and set people up to walk out. I pray, God, that you bring us out into your promised land to fight the giants that we need to fight. I ask that you wash away the past. You help us to forgive and let go. And I ask God that you feed us with faith in Jesus.